Hey guys, it's Dan. Uh, real quick before the show gets started, uh, we have a fantastic show ahead with a wonderful guest, uh, but I wanted to just share that we have a teensy bit of connection issues uh, at some point during the show. I think there's two points where we had a little bit of a, a connection mishap, so bear with us. We apologize. It shouldn't be too intrusive, and uh, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CivCast. I am your host, Kyle, joined by my co-host, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hey, Kyle. I looked up in the sky this morning when I woke up. Bright yellow orb, and I was completely unfamiliar with it because I think it's been about, like I was mentioning last episode, a month since I saw the sun, so I was kind of scared, and I considered running back off to bed, but I managed to uh, to crawl to the computer to record this. So, we hello, are good morning. We're recording at a different time. We're recording in the morning. Um, we had some, some schedule changes. Uh, Dan, I actually thought of a funny question to ask off of this. Uh, you, if I'm... Uh, do you want to tell people just briefly what's happening this weekend? Is that okay with you to share that detail? Why we moved? That's, yeah, that's fine. I got a wedding. Um, a wedding to go to, to for a quick peek behind the curtain for people usually we record on uh, sunday afternoon about midday uh today we're recording on saturday morning because my whole sunday is taken up by a winter wedding here in canada um which is usually actually a death sentence <laughs> usually that involves copious amounts of snow and freezing weather but uh it looks like it actually might be a nice weekend so i am uh I'm looking forward to that, and I appreciate that you were willing to record earlier, my friend. Happy to do so. Um, I have a question. We have a, a, an awesome guest on the show here, which we're going to talk about in just a bit, but uh, and we're going to ask this question to him, too. I'm curious, Dan, if you had to take one of these civilization leaders with you to this wedding as a guest, or you know, just as a friend, just to bring them along for whatever stories they're going to tell or insanity they get into, who would you take with you? Because that is a fantastic question. I think that most people, the, the answer that first comes to mind would be Gandhi. I think that A, because he'd probably bring, uh, what, how, can, how can I put this? He'd bring a certain nuclear element to the wedding that might otherwise be missing. Um, but I feel like probably the best guy to bring, or best guy or gal to bring to the wedding has got to be Peter because the drinking stories and the drinking games that guy would bust out would just, would, Hey, everyone, apologies for that. We had a little bit of tech issues. Uh, Dan, go ahead and continue with your thought there. Just going to say, like I was saying, Peter. It's got to be Peter because he is the king of the drinking story. And I do feel like, you know, you can't go wrong with bringing a like a six foot nine Russian giant with a sense of humor to a wedding, right? I have to agree with that. And I think this is the time. Let's let's introduce our guest for this episode. Valter, welcome to the show. He is here to talk to us about all things min-maxing later down the line, and he has been an awesome sport while we had these tech issues. Valter, do you have a, a particular leader that you would invite with you to a party or a wedding? Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be here. And uh, if I have to choose a guest for a wedding or party or something like that, it has to be Gilgamesh. Mm. Talking about Peter as a great drinking body, well, I think Gilgamesh will trump Peter in every way. <laughs> you know, Just look at his portrait with this large chain with a lion on top of it. I mean, that guy can... 
That should yeah. be amazing. There he does look like he might start a few fights at the wedding, though. Let's be honest. He's a big dude. People were calling well, him, what, Brogamash? Brogamash. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that will be a wedding you will never forget again. That's Fair a good enough. point. Uh, I was going to go with Norway and uh, have Harold come just because, you know, Vikings, awesomeness. But now that you guys have chosen uh, two of these big lumbering men to come to the party, I feel like I might have to go in opposite direction here. You know who it might be fun is, is Catherine Demichi. She might uh, might have some fun with her, her spies at the party. Who knows what trouble people would get into. I feel like she'd be trading all the gossip. She'd just be too somber for the wedding, man. And then if people got her mad, she'd start yelling at you in Italian. But that could be fun. <laughs> if you, you know, this is a wedding you don't necessarily want to go to. Why not bring her? Let her be a real mope in the corner until someone <laughs> angers her. And then it's just going to be like, you know, she, she's going to light the whole place afire. She'll be like Gandhi, but not so much with the nukes. Not, well, not so much. drinking the all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, drinks all That's around. Fair. Yeah. She's got a wine glass in her hand, even when she's not at the party. So she's ready. Absolutely. Let's Absolutely. let's hop a little bit here into um, into our news. Uh, we changed the format just a little bit, but Dan, do you want to give us a little recap on the Civcast challenge? Because we just wrapped up. Uh, this will be our fourth week of it, so that means we've actually done two rounds of the challenge. Want to tell us who uh, our leaderboard is this week? Yeah, and a, a big shout out to everyone who participated in the Civcast challenge uh this past these past two weeks really it was fantastic uh we got a lot of feedback we had a lot of engagement that was great uh so the winner for us for this past iteration here and a reminder for everyone uh we were playing with Scythia and we're going for a religious victory on the inland sea map the winner for us was a new competitor a guy who I mean, he he said he messaged us saying that he joined Twitter specifically to interact with Civcast and Kyle and I, which is which is really fantastic. His name's Rick. Um, he is Rick underscore TTT underscore EN on Twitter. And he somehow managed to pull off a religious victory with Scythia on a normal pace game on turn 161, which I, I don't even think I could do that on like the online pace. That that is that is just craziness and thoroughly impressive. Um, Rick sent us along a uh, a picture album of his accomplishment, and it's really quite fantastic. He has it on the uh, Art Splash uh, map overlook mode, like the pictures that he mm -hmm. sent us. Um, and it's so beautiful, by the way. I don't think we've talked about that. That filter, which is it, at first seems quite cartoony, is actually very it's actually just gorgeous. It looks like a cartoon cartographer's wet dream. So it's, it's quite fantastic. Um, you've got him with uh, Montezuma he had in the game. Uh, he made a few plays through the center of the map early on, and he managed to get it down to uh, Rome, and it looks like India. And then by turn 161, he was trading back and forth in religious influence with Gandhi and somehow managed to just overrun all of the cities early on. And I guess that might have something to do with the fact that if you get them well, it's still early. They don't have as many cities to convert. So he did it smartly, and I applaud him, and he will absolutely be getting the points for that. Uh, you have got second place was our friend Vouter, who's joined us today, Innocentia69 on turn 245. And uh, third place goes to Gus. Uh, Gus's uh, 
has interacted with us before on the last Civcast challenge. He completed it on turn 273. We also got feedback uh, from our friend Ricky Eady. He finished it on turn 313. I, meanwhile, well, I didn't finish it at all. Aww. And I, Aww, <laughs> I know. And for the vaunted, being the vaunted co-host of this podcast, I feel like I should be mildly embarrassed. But, man, I just had a hell of a time getting a great profit in any of my games. Like, I couldn't beeline Stonehenge. It was always done before me. Mm-hmm. And I just, all the, I would do everything I could, even taking some of Voucher's tips from his deity challenge and trying to apply them to my games, like harvesting early stone or harvesting early woods for production and i just couldn't i couldn't get it man i had a hell of a time so i'm curious if uh if i was doing something else wrong or you know what was going on there but regardless congratulations to everyone who took part in the civcast challenge some of the feedback that we got um specifically from rick and kyle i'll i'll quote what we have here from rick where he said "Uh, i love the civcast challenge please keep doing it not only did you make me play a civ and a map type I may not have played ever by myself, but you have also given me a new goal to strive for. This game I played for the challenge was the best game I played so far in Civ, so that's awesome to hear. And he says, why? Because I felt like every turn, every decision, everything I did mattered. And uh, that's, that's, why, that's why we did this, right, Kyle, is to get people um, engaged with, with stuff and with scenarios and with things that they may not otherwise uh, do. Exactly. That's, that's, fantastic. that's exactly yeah. it. You know, Civ is one of the Civ cast, or, blah, 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 can't speak. I'm going to blame it to the, the, the time of day. But um, Civ is one of those games that you can, you know, re- really, really, really just re roll the same thing that you were doing, just play the same exact type and scenario and, you know, get these minor changes in the map. But, you know, it's, the, it's these fun uh, challenges that you're kind of calling people out on and saying, well, I want to see you do this. And then you're, you're just giving people a really good, uh, really good thing to strive for every week, Dan. So that is an awesome, uh, awesome, awesome thing for the community. I've been kind of just tweeting at some random, I, I, like on Twitter, I follow the hashtags and stuff for for the Civilization games. So um, I've actually just in the past week been looking for people that are like, oh, I'm, I don't know if they're saying like I'm bored or I don't feel challenged or something. I've just been tweeting them like, hey guys, we're running a new challenge this weekend. And we've actually got a couple people that are like, please keep me in the loop. I want to know about it. So I will, at the end of this show, be tweeting out some more information to them um, once we get our new roles here. And Dan, do you want to tell us about our next challenge that people are going to do? It's funny. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Harold before because he was a guy that, another Sith that I personally haven't tried yet and someone that I thought it would be kind of fun to uh, to play a different victory type with. Now, I'm not going to make it too tough on you. So this week's challenge um, is going to be my least favorite victory type, <laughs> but one that I, I know I have to try for more. And that's a culture victory. So we're going to go for a culture victory on a small size map. So with six AI, we'll keep it at that for the time being. Um, the leader is going to be Harold and Norway. So that'll, that'll hopefully be fun. And I'm going to give you a little bit um, of a start bias advantage by saying that the map type is going to be islands. So no excuses. That is a perfect way to take advantage of Harold's um, Norway's inherent bonuses. So that should be fantastic. Um, I am going to ramp up the difficulty, though. Emperor, if you got people getting a religious victory on turn 161, man, it's too easy. So Mm -hmm. we are going to bump this up 
to immortal, which is one level below deity. And we are going to see how you guys do with that. Uh, no other, you know, map or resource differences, but I'm going to throw a little wrinkle in there. And I'm curious if people, if this wrinkle is going to piss people off, we're going to be okay with it. Um, you are not allowed to build the Great Pyramids Ooh. or the Oracle in this game. You oh. are not permitted to build either the Oracle or the Great Pyramids, which are, <clears throat> excuse me, which are the two kind of culture boosting buildings in the early game. So you you can build all the later ones like the Estadia de Macarena and the Sydney Opera House and everything everything that really boosts your culture mid to late game, but you are not permitted to build the Oracle or the Great Pyramids. I think that's interesting. That's gonna that is gonna put a wrinkle in some people's games. Uh, I like the difficulty change, so I'm super excited to see what sort of results we get in. Uh, oh, we should probably look at the calendar here. So let's see. Today is Saturday, December third, which uh, means you're actually gonna get an extra day on this next challenge because our last one. Well, it depends on when you listen to the podcast, but. Uh, this challenge will be due, the final results will be December 18th. Uh, Sunday, December 18th, we'll wrap this next challenge up. So you'll have your your two weeks to go in there and play. Don't forget to tweet, uh, that is hashtag CivCastChallenge on Twitter. Uh, you can use that just to send in minor updates when you're playing. Those are kind of the most fun. I'm loving when people are just tweeting into the show and saying like, oh, I started my game or, you know, this is where I got to and this is what I'm up against. It's just fun to see where people are netting out because you really can in a game like Civ, you know, take a, a, just a moment to collect your thoughts and, and, and post something quickly. So it's awesome to see people doing that. I'm so excited to see the next results. Big kudos to everyone that's been putting together these huge albums as well. Um, those are, cool. are super cool. That, I mean, it also is hugely complimentary to us. So like we take that to heart. It's very nice that you guys are taking the time and effort and energy to, to do something and, and make such a nice finished uh, product there. So we're going to figure out a way to nicely show that off on my on the, on the website for us um one challenge I'm, I'm discovering is those those albums are beautiful i just don't know how to display that on the site yet that's gonna show off the beauty of them that's not just like here's a link to check out someone's album like that's not super exciting so we're gonna figure out a way we're gonna do some awesome pictures on the site um thinking of also probably using since people are doing this through twitter we're probably gonna do like a little leaderboard where we take people's twitter avatar and their um at handle their 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 name on twitter and probably maybe do a little thing where people can click through and it'll um take them to the album and it'll do more stuff like that but that's all nitty-gritty stuff to get into later um yeah. big shout out to ricky again um you mentioned him earlier but just wanted to say he's really uh he's he's got some cool stuff cooking for us he's getting a little behind the scenes here on some things so so we're gonna see what comes of that but we've got some cool plans for the direction of where we're taking the show and it's just awesome that people are, are, are giving us such cool feedback um big thanks to rick for that amazing email um Congrats on the win there. Uh, Dan, I think we can tease this, that we are working to finally get our butts together and do a multiplayer game uh, over this winter. This We're going to do it in December here, probably when I'm on winter break. Um, but we're going to get together and do a fun multiplayer game that people are welcome to join. Uh, we're going to get you more details as we set a date for that. But look out, um, that's going to be coming. And then, uh, let's see, Dan, you had some lessons you learned from your game, uh, if you wanted to tell us about those. Sure. It's, like I was saying, it's, it's, 
embarrassing, but I think that I didn't do enough research on the way that the uh, the religious system plays out here. So funny little story. Um, I was actually doing pretty well with Scythia. Um, and one of the games where I managed to actually secure a religion, the one, the one game where I managed to secure a religion. Um, and I was doing pretty well. And on my border, I had... Uh, I want to say Rome and uh, China or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I, I know Rome was there because we were trading religion back and forth and he kept sending uh, apostles into my city and we kept having some of those kitschy but still kind of cool religious battles with the lightning and everything. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and so he managed to uh, to convert one of my border cities uh, to his religion, which I think, I don't know, I think it was Buddhism or something like that. And, you know, obviously, so I, I was like, oh, I know what to do with this. So I started uh, building and buying, uh, an, I think I bought an Inquisitor from that city. I was like, oh, I'm just going to buy an Inquisitor. I'll pop him <laughs> into that city. He'll erase all of the uh, the remnants of Buddhism from there. And it'll go back to, I think I was Orthodoxy or something like that. <laughs> but of course, what happens when you spawn or buy an Inquisitor from a city under another religion? Well, it, that Inquisitor spawns under that religion. Oh, no. So I, yeah, yeah, man. So I think that the the religious uh, attrition at that point, the, the the numbers, I think it was like seven for his Buddhism score in that city and six for my orthodoxy score. And so then I use the Inquisitor and I see it go, well, oh. now it's seven now it's seven Buddhism and zero orthodoxy. And I just I remember just face palm like literally face palming and being like, oh, screw this. And then in the spirit <laughs> of Kyle if Kyle and my um, discussion last week. Well, I of course went and re-rolled at that point. Of course. Yeah. So that was that was interesting. I learned a lot though, you know, um the religious game. I think that uh well learning that little hard learned lesson about Inquisitors, which really I should have known before it kind of it's kind of logical. Um but the, the whole apostle system I think that they've brought out this game is fantastic. Uh, I love the uh, the religious upgrade system and some of the really cool um, upgrades that you can get. One of the ones that really stood out to me was the martyr one, um, which is where I believe it's called martyr, which is when your uh, your apostle is killed in a religious battle, they leave behind a religious relic. Ooh. I thought that was just uh, that was just so cool. Wait, what is that? And How do you do that? Uh, so, well, when you're in one of those um, those religious battles with another apostle uh-huh. or whatever missionary um and your uh your apostle is killed they leave behind a religious relic That's for you awesome yeah so it's it's really cool so they still um Didn't know leave it. behind some kind of influence for you or something to that effect and that was really cool and i think there's uh, i don't remember the exact number of upgrades that are available i do think they have something like you know eight or nine um apostle upgrades that you can get and they're really cool and really unique and i thought that was fantastic um like i said before i do find the the lightning battles a little uh a little kitschy a little disney but it's it's fun so who cares right and i did find this form of religious victory as with most religious victories i've tried for in the past i mean there's a lot of micromanagement um, more so than if you're going for something like a science victory or a culture victory mm-hmm. And I mean, it just, it got to the point where, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, and so a lot of apostles. We cut out there for just a second. Um, I, I wanted to kind of add that, you know, with these, with these, yeah, with the religious game, I find it, maybe that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit hesitant to go head first into that sort of gameplay is I find that, uh, 
I, it's just so many things moving around the map, even in a game when I'm not playing religion. You know, I'm, I'm watching all these apostles and such come through my territory, and I'm like, oh, if I, you know, I understand how the AI manages all of that, but in addition to all my troops and stuff, I don't know if I could, but then maybe this is just a question in general. You know, do you find, I mean, is it is it super hard? If you, if you fielded a massive army and now you're moving around these religious units, does that just make life all the harder in the game? Is that something you had to deal with? No, not necessarily, because I wasn't really big, building a large army in Got this it. game. But I, I can see it as being, I mean, not cumbersome, but I can see it as being, I guess, annoying or a bit of a pain at least. But, you know, ultimately with a religious victory, that's what you pay for, right? Yeah. That's what you're getting yourself into. Very true. Um, let's go into our main part of the show here, because we've already introduced Voucher, who's here. Uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit more about all things uh, min-maxing and how he likes to play the game. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you've been up to on YouTube? Because it seems like uh, via Twitch and such, you've got a cool series going where you're tackling the game with all, your, um, with all the leaders on deity level. Yeah, so uh, my name is Wouter, but on the internet I'm usually known as Innocentius or Innocentius69. I try to play a deity game of Civ 6 every day uh, these days, and I think except for one day I've managed so far. And I try to go through all the leaders uh, in the order that they are listed in the game and just try and see if I can uh, get a victory out of them. And uh, yeah, I post that on YouTube as well. That's awesome. We've been watching a couple of those, and uh, it, it just the the tips that you're giving in the game. It's it's great, and it reminds me why I need to pay more attention to people's let's plays. I find that since I got Civ in my hands, I've been a little less uh, active in watching less let's plays versus you know before it was out and before we could play it. And I realize I am kind of making myself a little bit of an echo chamber by doing that. Like, I'm not getting the good input. Because um, as soon as I started watching your game, I was like, oh, wow, you know, he's prioritizing these other things that I hadn't been looking at. So I'd love to dive into that a bit more um, later on. But let, let's start off a little bit simpler, because we do have the holidays coming up, Christmas and, and so many things like that. And, you know, Black Friday just passed here in the United States. So big, big, big shopping day. Uh, a lot of people are looking to get Civ 6 soon. And I was wondering if you might have any tips for someone that is either just coming to the franchise or someone that is just about to get this game. How do anything that stands out to you, Voucher, that you might recommend? So the most difficult part from this iteration of the series compared to earlier iterations of the series or in general with other similar strategy games will probably be the district system. It's quite unique to Civ Six, and it's quite difficult to actually grasp in the beginning, I would say, as well. And to that end, I can fully uh, recommend playing as Germany for the first time, mm. since they have a little bit more leeway in the district system, as they can get an extra uh, district without the population limit. They've been the one that I've been trying to play a little bit more recently to to do to actually expand my horizons with it for exactly that point. Like you're saying, you know, they have a little bit of an easier time um, with the districts, that extra ability to have an extra one. Um, you know, the military card slot, that's always an extra helpful thing um, in times of war. So, yeah, I can see that. Germany definitely seems like a, a, a good safe start for people. Uh, any districts in, pr uh, in particular that you maybe prioritize? Uh, anything like that? 
So the general consensus, I think, at the moment is that there are two districts you want to build in pretty much every city. And then the third district varies a little bit on what you plan to do. But probably the most important district of the game is the commercial hub and in some lesser extent, the harbor. And the sole reason for that is trade routes. Trade routes are mm-hmm. really important. Yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. Um, I'm a huge a fan of the uh, industrial um, production district there. I, I love it with, with Germany's Hansa and such. So I've been really playing uh, that up a lot too. Uh, just to, yeah, that's definitely the second uh, district I would build in pretty much every city. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's just, I don't know, the, these districts are, are really kind of fleshing out the game for me in a way that I hadn't really seen before. Um, but so now I've also heard on Twitter that some of these these kind of veteran people coming from Civ 4 or 5 over to Civ 6, they're having a little bit of a hard time. This isn't everybody, but you know, some people here and there have, have voiced that. And I, for one, can kind of say that I'm a little bit in that camp. You know, I, I followed the news leading up to Civ 6, so I knew what I was getting into. But I surprisingly had, I found the learning curve to be a bit harder. And maybe that's just due to the permanence of like, you know, once you set a district down, it's it's there, um, and there's no real way to remove that at this point. So you kind of just have to to deal with your mistake if you choose improperly. Anything um, maybe that you would say for people that are finding a harder learning curve if you're like a Civ Five veteran coming to Six and struggling? Yeah. So like I said, for those people, it's most likely the districts that prove to be the difficult part. And especially the fact, like, how do I lay out my districts? And it starts very simply by checking. If you're playing as Germany, you have the Hansa, for example. Mm -hmm. Check what uh, the Hansa for bonuses get for adjacency, because adjacency bonuses are really important, especially in the early game, because you get pretty much a little bit of extra free stuff, a little bit extra science, a little bit extra production. And that that's to a really large advantage if you do that everywhere. So for example, for Germany with the Hansa, you want to combo that as much with the commercial districts as possible, especially if you can combo it with a couple of cities from each other. So my tip to them is think about your layout, put your cities maybe a little bit closer together than you're used to, and try to make some overlapping districts uh, places, which will combo with each other really well and give each other bonuses. That's a very interesting point, especially I, I'm, I'm one of those people that always maximizes my dis- distance between cities. And that might, I, I, I am thinking very much right now that that's to my detriment. I'm the guy that's like, okay, well, we need to have at least, you know, the minimum distance between. So we've got to have at least three tiles in that direction and, you know, three more in that. And, and often there's a little bit of extra space there. So what I'm hearing from you and seeing in some of your videos is that I might need to start scrunching my cities together and making them a bit tighter. Especially if you come from Civ 5, like you want to have as much space between your cities pretty much as possible because otherwise they are going to run into each other and uh, steal each other's space. Mm-hmm. Well, in Civ 6, I've noticed very much that I try to put them as close together as I can because they don't really take away each other's style so much. I don't mind that at all and uh, can actually help each other by boosting some of those district adjacencies. And, and <clears throat> pardon me, this is probably not the absolute best place to ask this, but I've seen um, in, there, there's something in the, 
nitty gritties of making your industrial hubs and things like that, where I know at some point in the game, it'll say, oh, you know, your industrial district's bonus, it's a uh, thing will go an additional three tiles and affect cities in a three tile extra range. I think some of the range components to the game are something that goes a little bit by the wayside, or at least it, it, the game does a weird job of highlighting stuff um, to make it obvious. Like there's some things that as soon as you pick up this game, you're going to know exactly what it's talking about, whether you're new or old to Civ. Um, but then there's some of these, 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 you know, like the district adjacency stuff, which makes sense on a very, you know, entry level. Like, okay, if this is sitting right next to your commercial hub, obviously they're going to get some sort of bonus. But then, like I was saying, as you get later on, there's policies and such that'll allow um, your district's adjacency bonuses to either become like larger or something like that. And that's where I start to not even, I don't even want to say tune out, but it starts to go like way over my head and I'm like kind of feeling lost. Anyone else having that kind of thing? Or maybe even Dan, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with districts? Yeah, funny enough, um, you're talking about, uh, well, Vouter's talking about kind of clustering cities closer together. Um, I had that experience in one of my last games when I went to build Coliseum and I was looking at the bonuses it gives you and it gave, um, of course, culture and amenity. But it also gave uh, plus one amenity and plus one culture for all cities within six tiles. So it, it's actually one of those kind of wonders that benefits um, if you have cities that are in like a in you know in like a tighter kind of cluster. And I know there's I think there's one or two other wonders might be unique ones. I think Japan's also has that um, kind of factor or function to it. And I know there's one or two others. Um, I guess. Maybe in, in terms of districts, um, the question I'd want to ask Vouter is, uh, having played all these different unique civs, is there one civs, it, well, with, for civs who do have unique districts, and I'm thinking civs like Japan and Germany, is there one civ you think whose unique district uh, stands out above all the rest? Yeah, that's really easy. That's Germany's hunter. It's so powerful. Uh, the, the fact that you have to remember if a civ has a special district, um, the build cost of it will be decreased as well. Uh-huh. So Germany's Hansa is cheaper to build than a normal industrial zone. And since it, I've rated as the number two priority district, that's going to be an immense boom to it. And uh, I would say it's the best district, uh, unique district in the game. Fantastic. Mm. Um and a quick question about the Royal Navy Dockyard. I know Kyle is a big, he's a big English player. Um, you haven't had a chance to play Victoria in your deity challenge. Have you played her uh, otherwise? Yeah, I have. And okay. I must say I'm a, not that impressed with the Royal Navy Dockyard. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. To add, to add my two cents to it, you know, Dan, we talked about that, that list a couple weeks back um, where someone had rated, you know, the, the order of everything. Um, and where the sieves fall in. I had to say, um, yeah, I feel like she just doesn't stack up when playing someone like Germany who is kind of just a raw powerhouse. You know, I keep going back to that. <clears throat> pardon me. Apologize, everyone. I keep going back to that, uh, that the, the extra card slot for military. But, you know, that's just a flat bonus. And, you know, on top of him having a very, very useful industrial zone, like Walter just said, you know, it gets a reduced production to actually make it, you know, it's faster for them to build. Um, that that stuff's just like raw power right in your hands. Like, it's not something you really have to think about. Uh, you don't really have to do too, too much to capitalize on those benefits. I find that with England, so much of her stuff tends to be situational. And I'm finding those situations don't really 
arise to the surface, um, like her having to find a second continent and things like that. Uh, it's just been, you know, that's a little bit weird. I don't know if that's fully flushed out yet. I don't really want to say this. I was thinking about this. I don't know if I said this on the show yet, but I could almost see a perk of England. This could be too OP. You guys let me know. But England's one of those ones that could almost use like an extra economic policy slot or something. I feel like they're missing a bonus that they could desperately need because their units are very situational and, you know, go by the wayside pretty quickly. And and with her having to settle continents, it's it's a hard game. Um, and, yeah. Giving them an uh, economic slot is is really powerful, but you have to remember there are nations who have a wild card slot, which is generally like whatever you want to put in there. So even better than economic slot. Yeah. And given that most players on high level uh, single player play on Pangea because it's the general most balanced version of the map, which the AI can handle the best, it, then you're not going to build that many Royal Navy dockyards, even if you find a second continent. Yeah. So with point. that, it, it's, it's really difficult to really use her unique district. But I must say, I'm a really large fan of the British Museum, and I think she can do really great things with that. So I, sh I wouldn't write her off completely. Mm, I'm excited to see your video of that. I I am I, I was looking for that. I was like, please have uh, England there. I was I was really enjoying, like I said, Germany though. That was great to I think. Those are my top two. Valter, maybe that's a good question for you here. Um, just off the cuff, is what are your favorite sieves? If you had to pick, like maybe even just three sieves that you like, who would rise to the top of your list? So I would have to put Germany on number one because it is the strongest one. Uh -huh. Uh, what would I then rate? I really like Saladin. Um, mm. it's not the it's not the best one, but I just like the idea behind it, combining science and religion, plus the fact that you're guaranteed a profit could also be in deity, especially a really nice boon because you're not struggling like Dan said before about the the challenge. Uh, you're not struggling to get that religion because you're guaranteed to get one. That's that's a good point. Um, Dan, I'll say, yeah. throw the same question at you. I don't know. We've probably talked to this to death a little bit, but well, who are your top three? Well, from what I've played, and I ha admittedly, I haven't played all of them, but at this point, I've played most of them. Uh, Russia would stand near the top of mine um, just because I love... I think they're, the breadth that you can play with Russia is quite fantastic. So I've loved playing them so far. Um, I do really like Germany. I experimented with Germany. They're hard to beat, especially when you get to mid-game. Um, I, I think I want to show some love to China. I think that uh, China's mid to late game, particularly if you're going to, for a science victory with the Dynastic Cycle Eureka bonus, mm -hmm. is really darn good. And um, I know that people, <laughs> people kind of make fun of the Great Wall as kind of being like this more like aesthetic kind of um, and, you know, functionally, occasionally useless, um, unique building. And I guess in some situations it is. But in the two games I've gone deep with China, man, the Great Wall has been an absolute lifesaver for me. So I would go, um, you know, they're not unique or, or out of this world choices, but I would go Russia, Germany, and China. I do want to show some love to Scythia, who I have <laughs> fallen in love with really over the past couple of weeks too, though. That's a great point. I, I think I'm going to throw in, uh, obviously, you know, I have to give one to England, talking it to death, but still, you know, they're, they're going to be my like <laughs> kind of aesthetic choice or whatever, you know, not super functional at this, in my opinion yet. 
Um, and so I master it. But we'll throw that in there. I have to say, I okay, I've got a Germany's in there. But then it comes down to something between what you were saying. I'm thinking China, but I'm also liking the Congo quite a bit um, for the games that I've played of it. Uh, they just have some really cool perks. I like for them, especially that complements my play style. You know, they're uh, all about letting the religions come through their area but not playing the religious game they actually cannot do it so that's very um very much complements my style uh but some of their bonuses are really cool too you know they're unique units and they have the mumbanza so i i just enjoyed them i do need to play a bit more as the congo though and figure out you know what's actually happening and and take it a bit further than i have um china i liked i liked the uh the reduced uh cost uh, you know using the dynastic yeah the dynastic cycle your eurekas and inspirations provide 60% of the cost instead of uh 50% when you boost something so those are those are really cool um but yeah that, that might be my goal for the day is to get back into a game with the congo or something like that uh, seems like a good goal yeah dan what are some of your questions here yeah, really simple one for Voucher. Um, what are some of the hard you've learned through this deity challenge? I think now you're 10 days in, right? So what are some of the, the, the toughest things that you've encountered? So the biggest problem sometimes what I have uh, with winning a game is uh, basically the beginning. You start so far back. And um, if you're a little bit unlucky, then it actually might throw you some games that are nearly impossible to win or that you're thrown so far back that uh, coming back from it is really difficult. Uh, yesterday I had a game as Congo, and I think before turn 15, Victoria came with six warriors oh. knocking on my only city. And um, I don't think I could have won that in any way. Wow, no. she actually managed to gather some units. Maybe she needs to give me some pointers because that's the opposite of how it goes for me in charge. Or I should just let her reign. I don't know. I'll take the back seat. It's fine. I'll just go into <laughs> observer starting mode. bonuses. <laughs> yeah, deity starting bonuses are crazy. They are crazy. And that, that makes it really difficult. But uh, what I've seen and what actually somebody else said yesterday as well in my chat is like, it seems to be like once you get over that initial hurdle and try to catch up a little bit with the AI, things become so much uh, more manageable. So really the beginning of the game and the choices that you make there, that's the most difficult part of, the, of, of any deity game, I would say. Well, see, yeah. we, we've already kind of changed um, my line of thinking, which is, is great because, you know, whenever I go to play an, another game, I feel like my start is going to be drastically different. Um, you know, watching how you've been playing it uh, and, and clustering those cities together, that's totally different than what I've been up to. So I'm really curious to see these things bleed together. Um, I saw in one of your ones, you know, you spam a lot of, I say spam, but you send a lot of settlers. What, do you maybe have a recommendation of how quickly people should be settling, uh, you know, space in the map? I, I'm a guy, and this could be to my detriment as well. This is a hangover from Civ Five for me, is I used to be more of a, almost like a more of a single city type of guy until I got to a point where I had built up that one city, it was very strong, and I would kind of unleash my horde against the world, and it was it worked out to my favor, but I'm not noticing that to be super applicable in Civ Six, probably because of things like adjacency bonuses that I'm missing out on in my slow expansion. So do you have a recommendation or any like rule of thumb for expanding your empire and how quickly that should be done? 
So for how quickly, that's really depending on who's around you. If you're really being clustered around with many sieves, then build up your military first. Make sure that you can defend what you have before you expand further. But as long as you're comfortable defending what you have, uh, literally build as many as you can. And I would look for tiles who has, have fresh water just to help it grow in the beginning. And as long as you can send more settlers out, build more settlers. Uh, there is no real downside on expanding very wide at the moment. There is no global happiness. There is a little bit with amenities, but since cities can build an entertainment, entertainment district to counter that, build as many as you can. Interesting. I like it. Dan, did you have something? I'm sorry. I feel like I cut you off. No, no, you're okay. Wouldter, uh, my favorite game to watch of yours, and I was right in there interacting when it was going on, was your uh, Gandhi game when you went for a religious victory. And I teased this a bit last week. You managed to get Stonehenge on uh, turn 14, if I'm not mistaken. Tell us a little bit about the story of that game, because that was really cool to watch, how everything kind of fell into place for you. Yeah, it was literally a perfect storm of, of things happening. Uh, the game we knew was uh, quite heavily centered on people who wanted to build Stone Age as well, because we actually failed the first time by, I think it was one turn. And uh, we reloaded because we knew, like, this is a beautiful moment to showcase how everything can work. I found a, a scientific city-state quite early that would give me plus two science to actually research up to masonry, which would allow me to harvest the stone. And, uh, and uh, there were two stones in my capital, which allowed me to uh, build a quarry on one stone to get a eureka for masonry as well. And there was a forest close by that I could chop down. So it was literally a perfect storm of everything going just perfectly with border expansions and everything like that, that allowed me to build Stonehenge really early, which gave me a large boost to win a religious victory as Gandhi. And normally I don't like to call a religious victory or any type of victory before I start the game because the game I let the game determine what way I win. Mm -hmm. But this time I did. And uh, I'm really happy that it worked out that way. That was really fun to watch, and it was it was really cool. See yeah, how people it, were yeah. people in chat were doing together with me. Like, yeah, I managed it as well. It's great, and and that that's the kind of interactions that that make my game so much more fun for me as well. When people like feel with you, play with you, and and give you advice like that, that's that's just really great. Yeah. In that vein, another quick question. Any kind of fun or unexpected things that you found doing the Deity Challenge? Uh, especially because when I uh, play the Deity Challenge, I play pretty much in one sitting and literally everything that I think in a stream of consciousness, I spew out. <laughs> and um, what, what I really noticed is that I when I watch back my videos is how my game changes from the beginning towards the end. And it comes really back into what I said before, like the beginning is really important, but once you get over that hurdle, it becomes a little bit easier. And I can notice in myself that in the beginning, I'm really nitty gritty at making everything as good as possible for me and try to gain a lot of bonuses out of it. And towards the end, I'm like, ah, I don't, that ah, doesn't matter that much for this case, or uh, I don't have to 
perfectly do this anymore. So I kind of let things go a little bit more naturally and let the game do more things for me. Uh, I like this. I, I like this this line of, of conversation. I have something I want to tack on here. Um, I mentioned beginning of the show that Rick had sent um, a, a little bit extra in his his email. He had some questions for us. So I'm going to toss this out to everyone. Um, Valter, I'm curious to definitely get your thoughts on this too. Uh, Rick had said, in addition to what we talked about earlier, he said, I think the difficulty levels of the game aren't where they should be. I shouldn't be able to win every game on Deity. Uh, what do we think about this? Is it possibly intended that every new Civilization game is easier than the one before? Or does Civilization 6 just need adjustments via patches or add-ons? And then he, um, this is a little bit of a conversation we can have down the road here in this episode, but we're going to talk a little bit about complexity versus difficulty. Um, and I just kind of want to maybe start our conversation off on this by saying, you know, I, I think that these games definitely do get patched. I think that Firaxis kind of sees where people are, are are going and how they're, uh, you know, fighting up against these challenges. But, but here's a thought for both of you. I want to get your thoughts on this especially. Is, is it possible, do you think, that they maybe... I don't want to say lowered the difficulty because I doubt someone, you know, had their finger on a button like, yes, we're just going to lower the difficulty of this game. Let's make it easier for them just throughout the board. Like That's my thought. But I'm wondering if they were trying to balance this complexity versus difficulty saying, you know, okay, we added this complex district system into the game where people have to now plan ahead. Maybe it doesn't, maybe the AI just doesn't automatically get as many bonuses or where do you guys stand on this thinking? Well, I think that the complexity versus difficulty question, um, I think they are very much correlated to each other. Mm -hmm. As you said, in Civ 6, we now have the district system and you have to plan ahead and stuff like that. And that's a beautiful feature for a player. And we can really play a lot with that. And that's awesome. But that's also a thing that is really hard to program. And I feel that they might have taken a too big step at the moment uh, with the district system that the AI will not be able to utilize it in any such way that it can be compatible with any good playing civilization player. Mm, are you are you thinking? Sorry, if I, I hope I'm reading this correctly. Are you thinking maybe the AI just can't actually really implement the districts effectively? Is that kind of what you're thinking? So uh, I am. I have a programming background, so mm -hmm. I know a thing or two about programming, and I can totally see it being very, very difficult for the AI to like be really good at the district system. They can manage okay, but uh, they will never be close to even an average player in the district system, uh, unless they would. Devo uh, devote like three years of specific research to improve the AI. That's a great point. I mean, we, we can already see there's some uh, some some common features that the AI lacks at. You know, if, if the AI is not thinking to upgrade its units like it, it ha you know, in the past it would just send some lame units at you. You know, it doesn't. I remember in Civ Five, for example, back in the day when they could not field a navy for the life of them. Like, you would just get, like, one random, you know, caravel or something like that coming towards your city. And it's like, really? This is your naval invasion force? And then <laughs> they were able to patch that to the point that the, the AI used fleets and they would send, you know, now it's like, oh, that's like five to ten battleships coming for me. That's that's very different than one uh, one lone ship. So, yeah, I could see that. Um, Dan, did you have any any thoughts on this? Like how, I don't know, anything. 
It's tough because I haven't played any games on Deity, so I do feel like uh, my observations are not as complex as Vouters are, but certainly my interactions with the AI have improved since the patch, the first patch. Um, prior to that, I think it you know, was universally recognized that they were acting illogically in virtually every circumstance. And I do think that I, c- I don't have a programming background, but I certainly can understand how it would be complex and difficult to integrate in districts with AI. I guess if I was to have a question um, for Vouter here along those lines, is there anything that you'd like to see integrated into the game in the future, maybe more along the lines of um, districts or civilizations or even as it pertains to the AI? So what I would like to see uh, to make the game more challenging for the people who, who are at the deity level, and I, I, I must stress this point that um, I don't think that the game is easy. I think there is a, a, a sort of plateau which you need to reach. And once you're there, then you know you can win deity levels. But reaching that plateau can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. But what I would like to uh, add to the game is not more complexity as a district system, but just built upon the core basics, which make the game really great, which we love in Civilization. And one of the things that is relatively easy but I think maybe the most important part is just add more civilizations with, with unique things. Just give <laughs> us like 50 civilizations. So that means every game that you're playing, you will encounter new civilizations who have their own kind of way of playing, their own unique kind of thing. And just give us a bunch of civilizations. Oh God, you that are preaching to the choir. You are preaching to the choir, my friend. Uh, what about the return of the city? Was that, a, was that a feature that you loved? Could you repeat that, Dan? Sorry, we lost you a sec. No worries. Um, a return of the uh, city-state civilizations like Venice, is that something that you would uh, be in favor of? Not so much, and there's a really simple reason for it. The AI is not that good at it. So every time you would encounter them in a game, you're like, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's a player that does sometimes something, but not that much. Interesting. Okay, cool. I love these differing opinions. It's it's what makes our, our community so kind of vibrant in that way. Is like, you know, Civ is one of those games you can go so, so, so deep into it. And I, I cannot wait. I, I have to agree. I, I am so excited for some new Civs in this. Um, I have to say, though, the game has kept my attention very steadily. I Sadly, in these past couple of weeks, have been very limited on my playtime. But, I mean, Civ's just awesome. I can't get enough of it. And um, this kind of, we'll use this as a segue because we're getting a little bit late in the show here. We're you know going to try and wrap up a bit. Uh, but question of the week last week, we'd asked people if there was a mod that people were most excited to see in Civ 6. Um, I just wanted to kind of quickly go through our feedback here on the show. Uh, Valter, you were saying something off air about you wanting a little bit of a better UI mod coming to the game. So these kinds of games, strategy games in general, I think live and die by their UI and the way they give information to the player and the way it is represented in the game itself. I'm really against hidden information. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to hide anything because people will find out eventually how it works anyway. And it's just like an extra difficulty level of giving them something to remember or having a notepad somewhere beside with, with where it's written down. So make everything crystal clear and easy to find. And that's, of course, easier said than done. But the better UI mod or the enhanced UI mod in Civ 5 did that perfectly, and I would love to see that in Civ 6. 
Makes total sense. Dan, you were talking about more units. Yeah, I, I echoing Vouter, you can't get enough in terms of units or civilizations. Um, so I, I, I love any of these mods that I see that um, include more unique units. Um, I know I saw one available in the modding community where someone had built up new unique unit sets, and I thought that was fantastic. So anything like that, I am a huge fan of. Uh, and I, I'm kind of looking forward to. I miss the simple restart button on the uh, on the the gameplay whenever you start out a game. I just miss being able to restart it and re-roll from that one button. Uh, Valter, I think you and I were gonna have a, a big uh, clashing of opinions on this one. Did you have thoughts to the contrary about that? Yeah, I do. I'm really against a restart button. Uh, it's a, it's a really simple reason actually. Go for it. Um, so I think. People, some people are saying it, the game is too easy. I can beat deity pretty much every time. But there are also a lot of people saying, like, well, I don't think so. I have troubles on Emperor. And uh, I think there is something to be said, like, get rid of the restart button like they did. And I think it's a very conscious decision that they did that. Mm. Because if a start is more difficult, and you're having a little bit more difficulty in the beginning, everything that you do and every decision that you make is so much more important. You put more effort into it. And if you lose, you look back onto uh, to the turns you did and was like, oh, if I just had done this thing different or placed this district there so it would combo better with that, you become so much better a player because that's a mistake you will never make again. It's something that you always have in the back of your mind and really help you improve in the game itself. And that are really rewarding victories if you actually manage to uh, secure that victory through that extra thinking, through that extra uh, difficulty level that you lay on top of it. Because if you have the perfect start every time, then your starting play will not improve that much because it will pretty much be the same and you will keep making the same mistakes. I like it. That's actually a very, 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 very good point that I, I can actually, I can echo that sentiment. That's something I need to take a bit more to heart and be a little bit more conscious about playing these games through. Um, I'm going to tack this in here because uh, the question was, you know, what mod are you most excited for? Um, I wanted to, my mod highlight this week is not so much a mod, but a new Twitter account that I saw crop up the other day. It is uh, called Civ6 Mod Updates, and it does exactly that. It is calling out when a mod has been updated, because currently we don't have a Steam Workshop integration for Civ6 yet. So how are you going to keep up on those updates by, you know, just following this fancy little Twitter account? Um, it's in its very early stages, it seems, but that is twitter.com backslash civ six the number mod updates so we'll try and tweet something out about that as well so people can find it but just a nice little handy uh twitter account people can follow valter it has been awesome having you on the show here we're just at the point where dan's going to take us into our historical minute but thank you again for coming in and lending your insights if you'd be up for it i would love to have you back on the show i can think of a million other questions i have for you um regarding starts and, and things like that so again it has been such a pleasure and, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Wouter. Welcome back yeah, here I would, anytime. I would happen to be uh, back sometime if you need me. If you have questions, uh, just uh, ping me and uh, 
I will be there. You have an open door invite to come on anytime. So Dan, let's uh, let's rack our brains. Let's try and find a good time to have Valter back on the show again. Uh, hope everyone uh, likes it. And Valter, on your way out here, do you want to tell people where they can find you again so that they can look you up, they can watch your channels and things like that? Yeah, so I stream every day on twitch.tv slash Innocentius69. I play a data game every day from 8 p.m. Central European time, which is 2 p.m. Eastern time. And you can find me on youtube.com slash C slash Innocentius69. I will upload all the episodes there and hopefully put some extra content there as well. And let's uh, we'll make sure to tweet out your stuff too, so people can find you because uh, we we love we love building this community and you know having everyone check out everything and it's it's just been great. So we're gonna make sure to get all your content out there. Thank you again for being on the show, Dan. I'm gonna let you take it away. And what story do you have for us this week on your historical minute? Yeah. So the sieve of the week for this week is Japan, and the story that we are going to talk about is the. Story of Hojo Tukamune, and I'm almost I'm almost positive I'm <laughs> pronouncing that wrong, but Hojo Tukamune um, was the uh, eighth Shiken, which is the official regent of the shogun, but the de facto ruler of Japan at this point um, in the 13th century. And the reason he's important, and the reason that you see him in a civilization game, is because he managed to stem the Mongol hordes. Uh, Kublai Khan launched his Mongol hordes at Japan, and Japan was still a relatively fractured and tribal country at this point. And what um, Hojo Tukamune managed to do is he managed to unite them against the Mongols. And that was a fantastic thing to do. And and he had his kind of this is Sparta moment when like from 300 when uh, the Mongols sent emissaries to Japan. What he did is 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 he received five of these emissaries, and he promptly had five of these emissaries from the Mongolian Empire beheaded. Not to be <laughs> outdone, Kublai Khan uh, sent along five more emissaries. And Hojo Tukumune had those five emissaries beheaded. So he uh, he wasn't having... So uh, at this point, Kublai Khan launched an invasion of Japan uh, in 1280, which the Japanese managed to uh, repel. And they managed to repel that um, for two reasons. One of those reasons was uh, what the Japanese called the kamikaze. And you might know kamikaze as being those, uh, those guys in the airplanes. It, World War II, but what kamikaze actually means in Japanese, divine wind, which, you know, if you're seeing the kind of um, the kind of synergy there with Civ, divine wind is uh, the leader bonus for uh, for uh, Hojo Tukumune in the game, and that gives land units receiving plus five combat strength and naval units receiving plus five combat strength in adjacent uh, to coast tiles and shallow water tiles. So. Fantastic synergy there from Firaxis, as usual. Um, but Hojo Tukumune himself, uh, as a leader, there's not a lot of documentation that comes from that era. But he was a very proud and a very strong leader, um, a fantastic guy who managed to repel the Mongols and actually ushered in the era of Buddhism in Japan. And with that, the era of Bushido and the samurai. The samurai actually... Um, came to uh, prominence under Hojo Tukumune, which, again, 
I love the samurai in this game, and samurai is one of the most recognizable uh, historical figures, certainly in Asiatic history, but also world history. And uh, the fact that Hojo Tukamune was kind of the patron of the samurai class and of Buddhism in Japan in general uh, makes him a fantastic leader for them in this game and a fantastic feature for a historical minute. I love it. Thank you, Dan. Uh, we're just about out of time here, so we want to thank uh, Innocentius and Valter for coming on the show again. Make sure you check out his channel, um, watch some of his live games. Dan, we, we managed to do it. We did a show in the morning. We had a guest, uh, and I think it was a very successful occasion, so... We're just going to wrap up by saying you guys can find us. Uh, the website is kyledempsterstudios.com backslash civcast. I made a little bit.ly link to make it easier for people if you need it. I know it's hard to you know write everything down and type on the go when you're listening to this stuff. So you can go to bit.ly backslash civcast. That's where you're going to get all your download links. And you're going to find a, uh, a nice little button to click that will take you to the civcast challenge with all the new details. We have to get those up there. Um, and also, as we've said, we're going to work on that leaderboard. Do us a favor, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Tell your friends, you know, make, make sure that you spread the word because that's really uh, what, the, what makes this community awesome is everyone sharing each other's content. You can find me on Twitter. It's KyleDempster7. Dan's on Twitter at DanTheMax. Uh, Valter's on there at Innocentius69. And the show can be found at Civ underscore cast. If you have any feedback, which some people have been sending amazing stuff, you, you know who I'm talking about. Rick, you did a great email today that we were able to integrate perfectly into the show you can go ahead and send that to civcastpodcast at gmail.com uh, if you're loving the show which we really 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 hope that you are give us a five-star review on itunes that's always cool to get and we love to shout those out on the show uh, we are working on a subreddit more to come on that it's in its early uh stages but that's uh you know the subreddit's at Civcast. I think it's pretty simple, and I think we've tweeted out a couple links to it. So, oh, and it's also up on the website there. So, bit.ly backslash Civcast will get you to our Reddit and our Twitter and everything that you will need. Uh, let's see. I think that kind of wraps it up for this week. Dan, any any uh, parting words from you? Civ of the week next week is going to be the Congo. Ooh, okay. So now no excuse not to go into a game of the Congo like right now. Absolutely. Is what you're telling me, Dan. You're enabling That's what me. I'm telling you. Stop enabling. Okay, everyone. Just make sure you play it through, okay? Uh, well, I'm going to have to now after this episode. I, I, I shouldn't have a restart button is what I've learned. So I'll take Valter's word for that and not restart. Um, let's just do it and see what happens. Until next week, everyone, just one more turn. You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.